it does seem like this is going to be it for now. Um, I've I've asked consistently every week for someone else to summarize, uh, so I'll I'll take it upon myself this time, if nobody minds, to to go ahead and take a crack at the summary. I assume nobody's going to mind. Uh, can you repeat the last thing? You say I couldn't hear you. Sorry about that. Yeah, I, I just assume nobody's going to mind if I go ahead and uh, volunteer myself to do the summary. No, no, no. By admins, go ahead. Yeah, right. So, in the reading this time around, this is the April Days, which Trotsky summarizes as calling it a quarter insurrection. Well, what happens exactly is that... Oh, wait, we lost Silva. I might wait for Silva to come back. We'll give him just a little bit. Yeah, because uh, Silva might just be adjusting the mic settings or something like that. Yeah. Well, if we go to eat time on that, man, Dick really is an idiot. Yeah, you know. Like, and. Uh, uh, sorry, sorry. sorry. Like, I, I, I just. I know I said it earlier today on the chat or whatever, but. What a fucking fun one. And you brought up a good point about. Yeah, the attendant was probably going to pressure Russia into. Or, you know, get think, back in the war for real and like say that kind of stuff and like that, but I'm not really sure how, how much it was feasible for them to, or, you know, discard Russia because of, of the same logic, like, uh, I I don't think the uh, government of Russia was hardly, in case it was high capitalism, that, that, the class, citizens, and whatever. But, if worse came to worse and the intended decided to tell Russia, Russia could have and they say, Alright, fuck it. It we we can't fight and somebody on the also. Or if the intended is going to drop us, we can just sign a separate piece. Like the they was still that option on the table. But did you did really have to do that at this moment? He fucked up. Yeah, he uh, like like I was saying too, like you know, Trotsky gasses him up. He's he's like the the smartest liberal, the smartest bourgeoisie. But that's that's like a relative scale kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like the, uh, uh, you know, the bits about the manliest man and in New York at this of a guy. I wear that skate at at the kitty ears, right? Yeah, stuff like that, you know. But uh, okay, Silva's back, so I'll I'll dive back into the summary or start that over. But um, yeah, so Trotsky calls the April days a quarter insurrection, and what kicked it off is the provisional government, or more pointedly, Milyakov's statement on the war, and basically the provisional government in the form of Milyakov because he was the, like, Minister of Foreign Affairs, comes out and they're like, yeah, we're going to keep fighting this war for defense of country, and we're going to still do the annexations and indemnities, and we want Constantinople and all, all these other different places. And they're, they're trying to disguise it with, 
with this or that democratic language about you know defending the freedom from germany you know of, of oh yeah state freedom and democracy type of stuff from the past yeah exactly they use these days. so they're, they're trying to um disguise it but people are capable of seeing through it at this point and uh the the masses the, the workers and peasants and soldiers are kind of uh they they do an armed demonstration actually right outside the uh the marinsky palace which is where the provisional government is and at this point, they're not actually armed with the intent of overthrowing the government or anything. It's it's just kind of an implied threat where they're just there to be like, look, uh, y'all need to straighten your shit out. They're, the masses are trying to bring pressure to bear uh, to be like, look, we need peace. We're not here about this war. Um, and so the provisional government's response to this is to try and rephrase it, uh, try to make it a little more disguised, what they're doing. Um, that doesn't really wind up working out. And they finally have to reorganize the provisional government, and they're like, look, we the liberals cannot run this government unless you the socialists in the form of the Mensheviks and socialist revolutionaries from the Soviet literally join the provisional government and we're going to make a new cabinet we're kicking Milyakov out and we're, we're bringing the socialists on board and everybody was super in favor of that the uh liberals were in favor of it because it's their way of shifting responsibility to the socialists and therefore uh kind of like damning the revolution kind of making the revolution responsible for the international war basically and the socialists and the workers are in favor of it for the exact opposite reason, where the workers are like, yeah, let's get our socialist representatives in there so they can kind of stop the war. Uh, but really, the liberals, liberals are trying to use the socialist representatives, and uh, we're, we're going to see how all that plays out moving forward. But that's kind of the, the basic summary of what uh, happens out of this quarter insurrection is that the uh, Trotsky summarizes that the, the dual power before existed between the provisional government and the Soviet. Uh, now the dual power is also going to exist inside of the provisional government because you're going to get those uh, socialists from the Mensheviks and socialist revolutionaries inside the provisional government along with the liberals. Uh, I want to make a small correction really because if I'm not mistaken, in Chapter 18, Trotsky kind of paints the picture that not everyone was happy with it because, yes, the liberals wanted the socialists in the uh, government to both provide legitimacy to the liberals and to also kind of discredit the socialists and the people wanted the socialists in the government because that the socialists, they wanted the socialists. The uh, world people, apart from the uh, Bolsheviks, but they cannot count on this. Uh, the world people that, quite ironically, they want the uh, socialist reformers on the government, was tell themselves because if I know this, it's like Trotsky kind of paints the picture that they were kind of reluctant to take the opposition because. They kind of realize, oh shit, uh, we kind of have to take power and we don't want Panta because we don't want to blame our over what will happen. But they were kind of forced, to, the situation kind of forced the hand to either take 
este nivel te limite el tamaño de responsabilidad that te libras un gift now or be discredited to the point that maybe the World Service will overtake it as of the people so they were kind of in the between the rock and the hard place. Yeah, you're not wrong. The the socialists were pretty reluctant to take the power. Like you said, their their whole policy up till now has been to try to hand the power over to the liberals. So being asked to join in the power, they didn't really want to do that, but they were the liberals forced them to by saying like we, we can't rule unless you come in here with us kind of thing. And and then even after the and Trotsky mentions this too, once the coalition ministry is established they kind of can't work together just because they're coming from such different class backgrounds um, because the liberals are trying to scheme about like how to get rid of the Soviets and stuff. And you can't really make that scheme with the leaders of the Soviets, uh, you know? So, so like almost no work got done in the ministry is what Trotsky was saying. Oh, is there like at seven in the evening of the problems of the Soviets assembled. The leaders did not know what to say to that audience, quivering with tense passion. Chizensei explained to them why it was great when... Something, something, something. Chernobyl tried to scare them with the approach of civil war. Mm-hmm. Oh, so there's a conflict between the liberals and the social and the socialists? Yeah, let me, let me find that real quick, sorry. So, can you read the quote again? Sorry. Or, or you can post it in the chat, so I can just, like, search it and, um... I think I remember the quote that uh, Sylvia has said. It's that moment in which uh, someone says, you know, the Soviet culture takes power we have water for it. I believe it was that moment, but I'm also looking to up right now. I like that you're... That, that was a point I left out, too, that I was going to bring back up, was the, the aspect of the Civil War, too. That's That's important, too. So, like... The, the workers and soldiers are showing with arms in their hands to demonstrate. And Kornilov is a, uh, a Russian general or a Russian military guy. I don't know what his rank is. I don't keep up with that sort of thing. But he, he's like a Russian military guy. And he's like, look, let me, let me bring in some soldiers. And we're going we're gonna to fucking kill all these, these demonstrators. We're going to put these guys down. We're going we're gonna to have a counter-revolution, you know, basically. And... The Soviets realize, even like the compromisers, socialist revolutionary Menshevik Soviets are realizing, oh, if this happens, they're going to fucking kill us too. So they went ahead and took control of the army, basically, and said, uh, army officers, army battalions, do not do anything unless the order is also signed by the, the Soviet. And that was the... I mean, they put down the counter-revolution just by doing that alone, because the soldiers weren't going to listen just to uh, Kornilov now. And and so that's like a really big step for the Soviet, because against their will, basically, the Soviets came to take power over the army. And they never wanted to do that, but once it was a question of the uh, the compromised socialists realizing, oh, we're about to get killed in counter-revolution. Yeah, they're... Yeah, they're gonna get crushed, and the whole revolution goes to shit, and Russia just becomes just your typical liberal democracy. 
Yeah, so once they realized that, they were like, okay, we, we have to issue this order basically to the soldiers just to not get ourselves killed. Um, so they managed to take control of the army uh, in an, well, I guess in a direct way, really. But yeah, Panda pointing out that Kornilov was in fact a Russian general. So I was right the first time. I shouldn't have doubted. Just to point another thing out, even some of the liberals were kind of attracted to Trotsky kind of paints a mixed picture in that he says that the majority is that the liberals kind of wanted Cordelo to do that because, of course, he was trying to secure their power. According to what testimony of someone I can remember at this point, two of the main Anywhere I figure that air, I just remember uh, that it wasn't Minukov, but two of the ultimate gangsters kind of said, no, no, you can't undo the court enough. Because I think that even the leader kind of realized, yeah, if Gordilov tries to do that, if, and he actually gets as an army, and he doesn't really do a good job in killing out the socialists, the, the liberals are. I fucked at that moment because there were three possible outcomes. Either Cordillo can, and, you know, kill the commies, which was what I never happened in him, because he wasn't given the opportunity to. Option number two is that he managed to kill at the commies. Well done, all liberal uh, and power and secure, or whatever. That was the good reason for the liberals, or the third option, and probably the most catastrophic one for the liberals, would have been if Kodilov had started and failed to uh, secure the massacre, because that would have been absolute chaos for them. So, some of the liberals kind of tried to uh, have Kodilov not do that, because, uh, you know, it could have ended really badly for them, but the majority of them wanted it. To do that. Yeah, and this this early kind of mention of civil war also kind of paints the uh, the picture of the the time urgency really. Like you already in April are already seeing the first attempts at the bourgeoisie organizing an armed attempt to crush the Russian Revolution. So there's there's like a very real time element that the Soviet needs to start consolidating power in its own name and create its own armed forces so that it can protect itself, basically. At this early stage... Or otherwise the revolution just dies and everyone just dies for nothing. Exactly, exactly. And that's um, that's what winds up happening after October is that they have to get the, the Red Army put together and the Russian Civil War breaks out and, and they have to defend themselves um, from, from the white armies and the counter-revolutionary movement. But they're, they're already trying in, in April of 1917 where the Russian Civil War went on from 1918 to... Oh like my god, hey, what do you use the term... They use they use in the book they use the term of the so-called democracy. Boy, has nothing changed. Yeah. But yeah, so it, like I said, it highlights that that time pressure thing. But in, in these early days, everybody is kind of so disorganized at the moment that the Soviet doesn't have to be 
so organizationally concentrated or powerful they can, they can just literally make the announcement that hey soldiers uh don't do anything unless we also agree with it and everybody's just kind of like okay that sounds good they don't actually need the the soviet doesn't actually need its own army to defeat kornilov at this point that that will happen later when some of the uh, army generals like Denikin are able to raise their own independent armies where if the Soviet had not been able to consolidate their own army at that point then they would have just been crushed so but but things are leading up to that point it's just interesting to to look at this the nucleus of the civil war before it really breaks out in military terms the the political ground for those military conflicts is already here Let's see, trying to think of anything else interesting that kind of came from all this. Oh yeah, so uh, the the Bolsheviks now. So now they they're actually starting to play a role here, and that's that's kind of interesting too. Trotsky highlights the fact that now that Lenin's back, uh, the Bolshevik Party's kind of turning itself around, and in this April Days struggle, they're able to to raise slogans and start talking to the workers and soldiers and saying things like. Yeah, the coalition's actually not really going to work out. We do need to end this war. Um, it's it's important that the Soviets start taking power for themselves. It needs to go to the Soviets. We can't just be diluting it down with this provisional government. Um, Lenin makes the criticism that somebody raised, or, or the Bolsheviks raised the slogan of down with the provisional government. And Lenin's like, you know, we can't, we're not in a position just yet to... Uh, overthrow the provisional government with arms. What we need to do is become a majority party in the Soviet. So it's it's about organizing within the Soviet because that's the organ of Wait, workers' power. Wait, a majority party through electoralism or through like revolution? Through through mechanisms of Soviet elections. So Soviet it, it is still a form of elector uh, electoralism in a sense, but it's it's a revolutionary electoralism because it's through the Soviets basically. That's that's like your, thought, your factory like, level. No, I, I was I was thinking of like a different kind of election, like Russian national elections, like so you know like you, where you go to vote for the, your local election, and so. Unless you're in the, the Virgin Islands, you don't get to vote, or any U.S. territory for that matter. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like Russian national elections at this point. At this point, the Bolsheviks are trying to win over the, like, at the factory level. Like, they're winning over workers at the factory level. Uh, they're getting Bolshevik delegates so elected uh, at, like, so factory. It's not national so it's not national elections, it's a different kind of elections. Yeah, not at this point, because the Bolsheviks don't really have a chance on the national scale just yet. They're, they're going to win at the factory levels, and then they're going to start winning at the regional levels before they start... Uh, oh, they're trying to go think... level by level. Yeah, pretty much. And at this point, I don't believe an all-Russian uh, Congress of the Soviets has been called just yet. At, at the moment, you just have kind of like your regional Soviets that are uh, in power over their respective regions. Yeah, I also want to point out that pretty much there wasn't really any national kinds of elections that were happening in the uh, uh, Russian Republic. I believe it was during these like six, eight months. Also, uh, yeah, if I don't mistaken, 
there wasn't really any kind of national elections that uh, Wastelic School have even participated in because of the uh, war over that this were going, the Soviets were being basically, you know, basically like municipal level, level top, maybe even lower, and the protocol national uh, and so Soviet at the level was basically the Soviet, the big Soviet thing in the capital in Petrograd. The, Russia could exactly have a national election with such a white country that's in the middle of a war and just had, had the revolution like what, two, three months ago? It, it, it was a kind of the situation yeah, where you exactly. can't hold the, a the national election. would be and there was some talk of it, was the election of the Constituent Assembly. And everybody who was in charge of organizing the election of the Constituent Assembly at this point is not interested in actually having the Constituent Assembly election anytime soon, just because they don't feel like the wind is blowing their way, basically. It's a real... Let's kick this gun down the road until it is better for us. It's a situation where no one really wanted an international election to happen except uh, our citizens. Yeah, so I think that's kind of about it. Just kind of like the Bolsheviks are now starting to have like the mildest of influence on, on the workers and stuff now. Um, I, I like the way Trotsky writes in these chapters, uh, just kind of like with the thoughts of the workers, you know, or like, you know, kind of like pretending he's writing from the perspective of the workers where he's like, you know, these, these Bolsheviks are, are saying the, the right things, but, but how can that be? Because Lenin came from Germany. So he's, he's trying to like personify the, the uncertainty that the workers are now feeling like they're starting to drift towards the Bolsheviks, but they still have doubts and it's just going to take time and exposure before they kind of come over to the Bolshevik camp and persistent uh, agitation and propaganda and uh, actual actions and stuff from, from the Bolsheviks before the, the workers and soldiers get won over. So I, I kind of like how Trotsky writes that in particular. Yeah, yeah, that was a good paragraph. That was a good paragraph. Actually, now that you mentioned him by name, I just realized this is the a chapter where Trotsky is introduced to him. Oh yeah, where Trotsky actually shows up and he he writes himself. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, it, it's kind of funny because you had mentioned that Trotsky. Doesn't really write him himself, like, and he tries to write the author, the author, the author. And it's kind of funny because I was looking up for, okay, when is he going to start writing that? And, oh, fuck, he's, he's just starting by yeah, saying like Joski. Little bits he talks about himself, too. He, he says there's like three articles of faith that everybody should hold to for the moment is like, don't trust the book. Wait, what is it? Let me just go read them. Yeah, okay, he says, don't trust the bourgeoisie, control your leaders, and rely on your own forces, basically, is what Trotsky's rolled up into Russia to tell everybody. 
and uh, he quotes somebody who's like, "Oh, that Trotsky, he's he's worse than Lenin." You know, I think that's really funny that he decides to include that in there. Yeah, he he's got oh, to oh no, he he's got to do some things. He got to write things. And you know, you know. Yeah, kind of, kind of think that's about all for for these two chapters. Unless hey. anybody else has, uh, yeah, anything. Right, were, were the Soviets is like a kind of government because it's, it's like the Soviets confiscated a private printing establishment for its own uses, made arrests, took charge of investigations and trials for, for political offenses, established a bread ration, and fixed the prices of food and necessities in life. So they're trying to establish like a government in the midst of anarchy in Russia. You're talking about oh, well, yeah, was happy and the capital of Georgia, right? No, 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 no. Oh, man. And, uh, the, the session oh, was talking about what was happening in Georgia, one of the parts of Russia at the time. Yeah, you... And it disabilities and I'm not sure how that's going to but... It's just like okay, a so Soviet oh, not, yeah. not it's the like Soviet, the Russian yeah, Empire. I think what happened. Yeah, yeah, that's the the Tiflis Soviet over in Georgia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. they're, I mean, they're they're setting up shop. They're kind of running the place. Oh yeah, it's like the Soviets were like running Georgia at the time, almost. Like... Yeah, and that's the thing, like. All of these things happening in Petrograd, the Petrograd Soviet, are uh, everything else that's happening in Petrograd is also happening across the rest of Russia, and it's happening at different paces. In some places, it's happening much faster, and in other places, it's happening much slower. And they're taking their, but most places are taking their lead from Petrograd. Uh, so, so some places are ahead or behind. And some places are ahead or behind in different aspects than, you know, maybe their army, maybe they have their own little armed defense guards, but they're still taking orders from like the provisional government or something like, you know, they could, they could be advanced in one way, but more behind Petrograd in another way. But like you're saying, yeah, over in Georgia, the Tiflis Soviet, they're, they're um, kind of really taking charge. They've got their own printing press that they've seized. They're making arrests. They're setting up trials. They're, they're controlling the bread ration and food. Um, it's, you know, they're really starting to run things. Yeah. Which winds up being the direction that, uh, things go. The Soviet starts to basically seize control of social life and start directing social production. But yeah, so if there's nothing else, I think we can do two more chapters for next week. I think they're about the same length as these two chapters were, if everybody's cool with all that. Yeah, okay. I'm cool with the two chapters. I just wanted to mention that that is uh, a little bit interesting to mention how at the end of chapter 18, Joski goes into detail that Pretty much at a municipal level, all the Soviets were at the only. Uh, uh, let me rephrase that, that. Despite the 
Joe Power situation at a, a you know national level at a municipal level, but at this point already pretty much everyone is just listening to what at the local at Soviet says and does that the municipal are the I'm not sure what the specific term was for the municipal councils were basically yeah yeah not either uh, not the institution that at the only the candidates and the real candidates there because they didn't want to participate in the Soviets but the Bolsheviks it were uh, concentrated on the Soviet uh, on the local Soviets the uh, Bolsheviks were looking Concentrated on the local Soviets. The SR was concentrated on the local Soviets. Like, it kind of only like, uh, uh, you see that already the writing is starting to be a little bit on the wall. Like, uh, if at a municipal level already, the supposedly the legitimate uh, institution holds no real power, it, it kind of now easy to see how that's eventually going to be the same as that. It's just kind of funny to me. Yeah. And I think the municipal councils and stuff, that's like the Dumas and the, the Zimstvos and things like that. And yeah, that is that is an interesting thing Trotsky kind of brings up where he's saying that the, uh, the Dumas and the Zimstvo as representative elected bodies, they have a broader basis of representation where more people vote in the Dumas than other uh, institutions, even even in the Soviets. Uh, so he, he kind of asks the question, why are the Dumas not the organization that comes to power if they represent the most people? And Trotsky basically makes the point that because they represent everybody, they kind of don't really wind up having any power because they're not really a class organ. Um, they're kind of more of a, to, to be redundant, a municipal organization just like of the city. So they're just going to take orders from whichever class is in charge, whether that be the Soviets, uh, the workers and peasants class power or the provisional government, which would be the capitalist liberal power. So that that's kind of interesting, where he's just kind of demonstrating that class power winds up dictating the actions of the municipalities, and not the municipalities wind up dictating to the classes, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it, it makes sense, it makes sense. But, alright, cool, well, yeah, if there's nothing else anybody wants to bring up, uh, we can we can convene for, for next week. Um, hope everybody has a, has a good week, you know? Alright. Thank you, Sam, for you and I hope everyone has a good week. Well, well, we, we, you and I say we hope everyone yeah, has yeah. a good week when we know what we it won't have to do yeah. tomorrow. Nice, it, it, it's kind of it's sarcastic for us. All right, take well, care. take care. Yeah. Bye. Bye-bye. Take care.